Okay, I, I'm not going to lie. This is a this is a true true confession of Jake Query. Midway through the first quarter in Ann Arbor, I did turn on and listened to the vast majority of the first half at home, the radio broadcast, because I was waiting to see if Don Fisher was going to tip <laughs> my genius. I'm not. I'm. I'm not kidding you. I thought, oh my gosh, they. They, they real, I'm like he, he he's gonna say my he's gonna say that this was predicted this was called Don and I'm not even trying to be flippant early on I really did think it was gonna happen I really did think it was gonna happen Don well it was fun while it lasted <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it didn't last nearly long enough and um, without question uh, Michigan just absolutely took over the game in the second quarter uh, it, and, and the problem was that Indiana just made some mistakes that were so costly. Um, you know, the, 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 the possibility of a touchdown to, to actually take a 14-7 to seven lead over Michigan uh, later on in the second quarter. That At that point, uh, the mistakes that were made at that juncture that just cost Indiana dramatically, and you could just feel everything start to crumble after that. And uh, unfortunately... Uh, let's face it, Michigan is a really great football team, and they are they they dominated Indiana the rest of the way. And the fact that Indiana, you know, went with a couple of different quarterbacks throughout the contest and went back and forth with them, that kind of thing. That, the continuity level that we saw there was very well. Obviously, there wasn't much, and that didn't help things either. But the truth is, they were they were going to try two quarterbacks the entire. Rod Carey just told us today at the press conference that. The plan all along was to go with both guys to see which one would step up. And uh, honestly, nobody really separated themselves from the other. So at this point, we're still in that uh, position where I think they're going to continue to use two. And there may be a third guy that's involved here, too, because Dexter Williams uh, was dressed for the ball game. Uh, obviously, he's the guy that we talked about last year coming in and playing so well until he got hurt in the Purdue ball game. Um, he may be a factor down the road as well, so we'll just have to wait and see on that. But this team has got a lot of work to do here this week to get ready for a Rutgers team that came back and, from a 24-6 deficit, won the ball game against Michigan State. And honestly, if Indiana doesn't get its act together, uh, it's going to be a long rest of the season. Don, I, I, I don't want to pile on here, but I guess it's going to sound like I'm doing that. You know, the old saying in, in football – to paraphrase it is you know if you have if you're going with two quarterbacks you have none um there's a lot of debate about whether or not multiple quarterback system is the way to go etc is it too harsh of me if i say look we're, we're too far into a year here to be still experimenting or figuring out what we're doing in terms of the quarterback you got to pick one and go with it am i being too harsh i don't know that that's harsh i mean that's that's the, the reality is that right now we don't have one uh, you know, we, we haven't gone. We, we went with Taven initially after the first two ball games, um, but as soon as things start to break down and a few mistakes are made, all of a sudden you feel like uh, maybe we got to go the other way. And and I don't I don't know that that's the way to go. I'm not saying that the coaching uh, in this situation is wrong. I'm simply saying that it hasn't worked thus far, and without question, we haven't seen either one of these guys really separate themselves from the other, and it just brings up the prospect that maybe this is a scenario we're going to have to deal with the entire year. But again, 
Dexter Williams becomes the third guy in this picture, too. And if he is actually physically ready to go and he was on the available uh, but questionable list this past weekend, he was dressed for the game. I think they didn't put him in there simply because of who they were playing. They didn't want to have something like that happen again very quickly or have any kind of an injury or even give him a scenario where he felt uncomfortable going into the contest. So now another week of preparation before the Rutgers game this Saturday. We may see a third guy in the mix for a quarterback position. Voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher is our guest. Don, I, I know this is off the beaten path in terms of IU talk, but I just want to get your perspective on it. The Michael Penix Jr. era was marred by his inability to stay healthy and a number of different injuries that limited him to action when he was an IU quarterback. Are, are you surprised to see the ascension that he's had to the point of consecutive years in Heisman consideration? I'm not surprised in the sense of, uh, of Michael's abilities because there's no question when he was when he was at his best, he was fantastic uh, for Indiana. And obviously, the, his last year here, he was coming off that second knee surgery. Uh, he wasn't confident. I, I, people have read the stories about the fact that uh, on Saturday game days in the morning, he would he'd be laying on his floor in his in his uh, dormitory or wherever he was staying, uh, crying and praying that he wouldn't get hurt again. Well, <laughs> if that's your mindset going into a football game, you're already beaten. Uh, and without question, he had a horrible year uh, in 2021. And from that point forward, uh, you know, once he got with Kalen DeBoer again in 22 and now 23, he's been unbelievable. And I'm, I'm glad for him because he's overcome whatever phobias he was dealing with uh, in his junior year at Indiana, essentially. Uh, so I'm really happy for him in that context. Uh, I just wish he was still throwing it for Indiana at this point because uh, he would have been special in that regard had he been able to. But here's the thing. Uh, I think he is has more trust in Kalen DeBoer than anybody that was at Indiana at the time. And I know Nick Sheridan is out there supposedly as the quarterback coach. But it's Kalen DeBoer who made Michael Penix what he is. There's no question in my mind about that. And uh, Michael Penix right now is playing well enough to become the Heisman Trophy winner. And uh, I give him all the credit in the world for what he's been able to do since he transferred. I'll tell you, Don, he might be the Heisman frontrunner right now because Caleb Williams, you know, really struggled at Notre Dame. And that, you know, these things are week to week, I realize. But for right now, it seems like Penix is, is kind of the, the guy that, that put himself up a little bit because of the way he rallied against Oregon at the end of that game. Uh, switching gears real quick, Don, just because, let's face it, part of the tradition of Indiana football is to get then excited about Indiana recruiting and basketball. Um, big five-star recruit, Liam McNeely, uh, McNeely commits yesterday. Don, I will be the first to admit, I don't – I'm always kind of a cynic about recruiting just because it's it's always, I think, a crapshoot. You know, I mean, Calvert Chaney's one of the greatest players in school history, was not a huge recruit. Same with A.J. Guyton. There are other guys we've seen that – came in but you'd rather have big name than not I realize that uh Mike Woodson it does seem as though has now the answers the, the question's been answered right Don he can go into homes and get kids to come to Indiana I think that's right I, I don't think there's much question 
talked about it. Obviously, you got two last year from Bud Bird Academy, and both uh, highly recruited guys. Malik Radu, of course, still with Indiana. And, of course, Jalen Huchafino was a one-and-done. Um, there's no question he could recruit, and he's been able to do it here in the early part of 2000, well, for the 2024 class. Uh, it looks like there's a possibility of getting two or maybe maybe two more guys uh, out of this particular class that are highly regarded guys as well. Uh, the Queen kid down at Montverde Academy is another guy that's a teammate of Liam McNeely's, and, and there's talk that... Uh, both, uh, that McNeely is now recruiting heavily for Indiana and trying to get Queen to come, uh, who's a big guy, 6'10", physical player uh, from Montbert Academy, and then a, a really good point guard in Boogie Fawn, uh, who is out in New York. So uh, and he, I guess McNeely supposedly is recruiting both those guys hard to come to Indiana. So at any rate, it, and that's always a factor too. I mean, the McNeely kid is a top 15 player. There's no question about that. He's very talented, great shooter. Indiana needs that in the worst way. Um, and if he can get these other guys to come, well, it's just uh, another feather in Mike Woodson's cap for his recruiting process. Don, here's a dumb question. You know, obviously, I know that Jalen Hood Shafino, who was a wonderful player, came from the same academy, the Montverde Academy. Does does Indiana have? And this may be a glaringly obvious answer. Does Indiana have like a connection with someone on staff there, or was it simply a matter of getting one of their key players, like a Hood Shafino, and then kind of getting word out that Indiana was a place that worked out for him? I think you know maybe there's both. I I really could not answer the question about whether there's a connection there, but obviously Mike Woodson has seen these players at Montford Academy in his recruiting process. He's seen these guys, and maybe he starts recruiting them as soon as he sees them and thinks that they're the guy that can fit the bill for Indiana. I, I can't answer that question. I've never really asked Mike. Uh, maybe on our first talk show this year I will do so. But, but um, there's little doubt that Indiana has really recruited that program hard. And I think their head coach obviously has a good feel for what Indiana brings to the table in that in that area. I don't think that that hurts Indiana in any way, shape, or form. Don Fisher was on the call against Michigan over the weekend with the Hoosiers losing to the Wolverines. It's Rutgers this Saturday, right, Don? It is Rutgers this Saturday, a team that's 5-2 and two on the year. Uh, for whatever reason, Rutgers seems to have had Indiana's number of late. Um and they're a program under Greg Schiano who's made a lot of progress with what they were struggling with about four years ago. All of a sudden, they're starting to win now. And I don't think they're great offensively, but they are certainly really good defensively. They're only allowing about 280 yards a game, uh, both run and pass yards in a ball game at this point in the season. Um, I- I'm impressed with what Schiano's been able to do. This is a winnable game, in my opinion, for Indiana, but they're going to have to play some of their best football to get it done. And our, arguably, we haven't seen it. That's not even arguable. We have not seen that in the last two two ball games that they played against Maryland and Michigan. And they've somehow got to find a way to return to the confident level they were playing with defensively if Indiana's going to have a chance in this game. Game will kick off at noon on Saturday. You can hear it on 93 WIBC. My annual weekend road trip with my buddy Mike Byron is this weekend, Don. So uh, you'll carry us for about 210 miles or so. So make it, make it a good call with Rutgers. We'll be listening the whole time. I hope I can make it a good call. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, you've done a few of them over the course of the year, so I'm pretty confident in that regard. Let's just hope Indiana makes it a good game worth calling. Don, we appreciate the time as always. 
Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate right. it. Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers on the hotline. Um, again, I, I really thought, man, I, I thought they were going to stun the world. thought they were going to shock the world and beat Michigan. I got super excited when they were up 7 nothing, and then, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was a it was a buzzy feeling for a second. Me and Eddie both texted you or contacted you in some way in regards to the early goings there. You're right, Jake. They had an opportunity to take a 14-0 lead for turning it over inside the 10. But, yeah, that went about, I think, how most people expected it would as Michigan overpowering them. And now you turn to the rest of the schedule, and it's like the, the, the race to six is probably over. I mean, Rutgers, Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan State, and Purdue – are your last hopefuls and you need to win out to have a shot at a bowl game that's moving away from the road contest against Penn State on the 28th. So it doesn't look great. And Jake, I've always been with you. Two quarterbacks are not the way to go. If you're having to scramble, particularly at this point in the season, still trying to figure out which quarterback can step up, it, it, it might not be the year for good quarterback play at IU. Jimmy, it is. And Taven Jackson's very young, so I'm not going write, to fully write him off, but it, not a great year at quarterback in Indiana. I, I, I'm not. Listen, I have all the respect in the world for Don Fisher, and I I respect and appreciate his candor. Sure. That said, he has not only earned the right, but just professionally speaking, he's the voice of Indiana. I'm not going to put him in the position to like completely condemn oh, things, yeah. right? No, of course not. But I will say, I know that he is a wonderful human being, and I know that he is a... a a fabulous father-like figure for players and that that is important but and i'm not saying it because indiana got blown out in a game that i guaranteed they were going to win i think most people knew i was probably being a little bit flippant there but um it is time it it is time indiana needs to make a coaching change and for people that say Indiana, it's never going to be the same. It's never going to be. It's always going to be the same thing down there because Indiana's just they don't. They're not committed towards the finances of Indiana football. They're just not committed to it. They're not. Indiana's not going to pay for IU. Well, listen, Indiana's in the situation they're in because of their commitment financially to Tom Allen. They owe him a twenty million dollar buyout at the time that they extended him. He was the ninth highest paid coach in college football, and had the fourth. I, I think at the time the fourth highest buyout in the country. I'm sorry, but with that comes expectation, and with that expectation comes requirement of fulfilling and showing some progress. They look totally inept. They look totally unprepared. They look totally, from a from a playing standpoint, they look completely uninvested. From a scheme standpoint, they look completely clueless. And from a roster standpoint, they look like a coaching staff that has been constantly turned over because of things excluding X's and O's by the head coach who has rearranged every chair on the deck of the Titanic and the water now is up to and above his navel. Sorry. I don't disagree with you on the any of that. time has come. I don't disagree with you on any of that, but regrettably, IU's made their bed. Like, it, they, they, they would have to swallow a $20 million I, I pill to make I that change, and I, I, I just don't think they're going to do it. I, I don't disagree, and that's and that's the shame, because people actually go down and waste their Saturdays thinking that things are going to change when they tailgate down there and then go play Sink yeah. the Biz. Uh, at least the AMFs are good. The most pressing issue is that of the Colts, and yesterday's loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars joining us 
to talk about that and more. Mike Chappell from CBS4 and Fox 59, the dean of coverage who has covered each and every season for the Colts since they came from Baltimore. Uh, Mike will get the big elephant in the room out of the way right now, and that is I don't think yesterday that it was anything new to those who covered the team that it is still on the table of an Anthony Richardson season-ending surgery. But would you agree that perhaps yesterday's game, and then maybe if you add one more like that in the Gardner Minshew um, next three or four weeks, might be a factor in, you know what, they're better off just going ahead and getting that done and securing the long term for Anthony Richardson and kind of punting on the year? Or is that is that a little too harsh? Maybe a little too harsh. I, I don't think yesterday impacts anything. Did anybody expect them to win down there? I mean, really? You know, it's he's the seventh quarterback to lose down there in the last, you know, since they won. So, I I, I really don't think, and maybe maybe I'm the one that's way off base. I just don't know that that impacts. This is about Anthony Richardson. What's best for him going forward? And, and if getting him back for the last six weeks is is really, I mean, and he's back healthy and, and his shoulders is good, then he comes back because. I don't want to go into next year with, oh, by the way, this quarterback has played now, you know, he started what, I guess it would be 16 games as opposed to 13 games. So I, I, I guess one that he, he started for this year, but he, he needs to play. He needs reps. He needs to see everything he can see. And if that comes at the expense of not making the playoffs or whatever, sort of so be it. I mean, I mean, but so I, I don't know. I, I still personally from the, Things I've seen from people I've talked to, I, I think we've seen the last of Anthony Richardson. I just do. I think that you know, we, we get Shane Steichen today at after two o'clock. Does he get, does he you know move the needle? I don't know. You know, there's no. We all want things now, but with Richardson being an IR, they really don't need to give us much advancement as far as his, his status for another couple of weeks. Uh, so, so there's no real hurry on it. And I assume that the, the sooner you get surgery, the sooner the rehab starts. But I'm not sure two or three weeks are going to matter because if he has surgery, he's done, and then he's got the entire offseason to heal. So I don't know. I, I, I know what you're saying. But but I, I think Richardson is sort of a, a separate issue in, in his own. And I don't know that how they play record-wise will – impact it maybe i'm wrong but i don't think so well i the thing that i said earlier mike to me anthony richardson's like if if you had five thousand dollars in cash there are things you can do with that right now or you know that you can put it into a certificate of deposit and wait nine months on it and then suddenly it's 5200 bucks on interest both of them are going to help you out, but the latter one takes more discipline and more more long-term vision, but it might be the better play. And at some point, they may have to determine that just on his health standpoint, record of team regardless, right? Like if Oh, I, I, yeah, I, I don't rush him out there. I don't say, boy, you know, he's, he's 80%, and, you know, the team is whatever they are, 500. Maybe he can get us over the hump. I don't do that. Uh, to, to me, the only way he comes back without surgery is that, the rest, you know, six weeks that we've talked about, you know, the four weeks and then the leaving home from, from Germany and then you get to buy. No, the only way I bring him back without surgery is if he's, if he's really, really ready to go. 
not the, yeah, there's still a little bit of a hitch. It's still a little pain in my throat. Then you don't do it. That, that's where I don't mess with my investment. But if by some chance that, you know, he – and he's not simply going to listen to the team. I mean, he's had, from what we've read, four or five or six second opinions, which if I'm a player and that's my, my meal ticket, I'm doing it too. You know, I'm going to get talk to as many people as I can. So, yeah, I, I, to me it all depends on whether he can come back without surgery. And if so, then he does. But if there's any hesitation on anybody's part, then you don't do it. I just think that, you know, we'll see what, again, maybe the coach advances today, maybe not. But but I, I, I just in my I just it just feels like surgery is going to happen. There's so much noise out there, and you know last week the coach didn't exactly shut that down. And I, I thought the one thing that was telling from Shane Steichen, and I don't know that he meant it at all, but he really didn't give any any reason, any glimmer of hope that he was returning. I asked once, Steve Holder asked once, and somebody else did about. You know, is 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 there a chance he plays this year? Well, we'll, we'll let the doctors decide. And is there a is there a chance he doesn't play this year? Well, we'll let the docs decide. And the surgery, he you know, he left the door open. So I understand not wanting to feed the fan base false hope, but maybe you could have said, hey, we all hope he's back this year, but we'll see. We didn't get that. Maybe that's reading too much into it, or maybe that's what the the the, the team. Knowing, having a good idea what's going to happen, but waiting a week or two to see. Because again, I don't know what another one a week or two is going to matter. As far as if he has surgery, he's done. So what's another week or two going to matter on his rehab? Yeah, I would hope nothing. You know, if if in in such a short time where you're going to have a long time to heal. So we'll see. Again, I've just talked myself into this is Minshew's team for the rest of the year and. We'll see where he takes them. Mike Chappell of Fox 59 and CBS 4 is our guest. Mike, I know there's no alternative. It's Minshew. They're not going to go out and find another quarterback. But going into the season, the thought was if something happens to Richardson or if they decide Minshew's the starter day one, well, at least there is reason to think the wide receivers, the rest of the offense can still get a measuring stick of how their development is going. Yesterday, from my vantage point, was the first time that faltered for me. The idea that Gardner Minshew is capable of running an efficient offense to the point that you could still get clear observations for what you have at other positions. Did it falter at all for you yesterday, or is it more just an overreaction to Jacksonville being the, the better team? Well, Jacksonville is the better team. Uh, and again, it's it's some of the losses down there are inexplicable. So I, I, I don't – overreaction is, again, I say, well, what do you expect? Now, I expected, <laughs> I expected a more competitive team than we saw, but boy, you can't have your quarterback turn the ball over four times. You know, that, that was his first three interception game of his career. Uh, the one thing that you could always depend on with Gardner Minshew is, is ball security and, and not putting his team in bad situations. And he did time after time. And you just, this team, few teams, well, what was it? Jalen Hurts threw three picks yesterday and they got, and the Eagles got beat. It's hard. It's so hard to win when you, when you have those turnovers. I went back and looked, and they were what is it since ninety or since eighty four with four turnovers. They're now is it five and fifty four? You know, and and that's with Peyton Manning went through a lot of stretches where he had multiple turnovers and all that. And it's just hard. 
So he can't he can't be part of the problem. If he's part of the problem in a game, you're in real trouble, real trouble. And I thought – I don't think the coach would really talk about it today. I thought they went into the game with the idea – we can't run the ball. You know, we're not going to waste plays because we can't run the ball, and we're not going to bat our heads against the wall trying. And and so they didn't. So they couldn't, and they didn't. What the the, the first half? I mean, it, it was it was it was now some of the run game. I thought were those short passes, the moss over the middle, those sort of dump offs, and that's fine. But all that does is bring the defense up, and it makes it harder to run. And and then and then the dump offs don't work. You know, but but through three quarters, they, they they just they had like what was it halftime? It was thirty five plays, and they ran the ball eight times with the running backs, eight times with the two running backs. Right now, are are two of your better players. Uh, again, I just thought it was a case of you know, and Peyton Manning was always like, you know, I, I just hate to call bad plays when you know they're not going to work. You only get so many, and I just got the feeling. It's to me, it's not that the Colts abandoned the run. They never really brought the the run game with them, and so so it was sort of you know it, it doomed them from the start. Uh, and maybe it's just Jacksonville, and, and we're going to see better things going forward. Although Cleveland's <laughs> their defense is really playing well, not so much offense, but so 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 this week is another game where the the quarterback can't be your problem. You know, there, there's going to be bad plays, and you just kind of suck it up and move on. Those interceptions were just awful. You know, he sailed a couple of them, and he threw the one short to, to, to Pittman. And, you know, the, the, again, this team already has limitations on offense, certainly when you don't run the ball. But he can't be the problem. And, and what's really, to me, and I realize it's, it, it's, a, it's a small snapshot, but in the two games where he's come in, and played well at Tennessee off the bench, or Tennessee off the bench, and at Houston off the bench. He's got like a one twelve rating, you know, eighty one percent completions, and, and they've been efficient. Well, those defenses, those corners, they prepared for Anthony Richardson. So all of a sudden, you got Minshew, and he goes back and, and he can do his things. Well, these these the, 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 the two starts, they, they've prepared for him, him. And he's sixty four percent completion, a seventy four rating with with the, with the turnovers with the four turnovers, and that's sort of disturbing, and that's where it's going to be incumbent upon the, to Steichen and Jim Bob and all these guys to to realize that, that you know, the, the defenses see what we see, and he has limitations, and you simply have to keep him out of those. And then, I don't care what plays you call, he can't airmail balls down the field so safeties are basically making fair catches. Can't do that. Uh, for right now, I'm blaming it on Jacksonville, at Jacksonville, and all that. They are the better team, although Trevor Lawrence didn't do a hell of a lot. I mean, really. But, uh, you know, we'll get a better take. The next two weeks, we're going to tell us about all we need to know. Games at home against two very good defenses. So just just get your quarterback. Well, you hate to call him a game manager because that's, to me, a slap in the face. But do your job. And, and don't make things worse with turnovers because, again, this team is not equipped to come back from four, turn, probably two turnovers like that, certainly not four. Mike, you talked about Cleveland's defense, and look, 
Cleveland's defense won him a game yesterday against a really good, obviously a very good San Francisco team. Uh, missed field goal helps. But that defense and what they're about to see coming this weekend, where would you assess, especially from yesterday, how would you critique where the Colts' offensive line is right now? And, and I know they've been injured, right? And they've moved some guys around. How would you grade them yesterday? Oh, not very good. There was pressure. Uh, again, it, it, the run game didn't get going. I think that's more coaching than 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 the offensive line. Again, Jacksonville just stacked. They just stacked the front, and and the Colts were you know outmanned as far as personnel. So I, I not very good. You know, the OC minus type of thing. But I think part of it was was the coaching and not and not giving them a chance. To run, although they may have been, they may have been just as ineffective with with 15 more rushes. But it, it, it hurts to lose Braden Smith. It does, and that's not a knock on, you know, Blake Freeland. It's just you know, Braden Smith is a solid, you know, top 15 right tackle. He is, and so it, it's it's really difficult in Cleveland. They've just got a tough up front and they're going to disrupt things and that's why I say the quarterback has to do what he does and hopefully you can pound away a little bit with a run game and get some get some uh, reliable runs some positive runs uh, but it's going to be an ugly game offensively like it was at Baltimore. It, it just is. Uh, this is a better defense probably than Baltimore's got And but you did enough and the quarterback you know, I, I, yes he played a role in the game up at Baltimore, but it was really the it was really Matt Gay. So so give your kicker a chance to win some games by not messing up and, and let the other parts of the team do what they do. Chap, were you surprised at all to see the snap count distribution shift Shaq Leonard's way over EJ Speed for the first time in three weeks? I know he missed all of Week Five, but it was about fifty-two to twenty-seven in terms of snaps there for those two. I know it's been a point of conversation about that specific <laughs> linebacker position so far this season. Well, that, that's what Gus Bradley told us. Thought it was going to happen. Yeah, you know, as we get closer to November, his snaps would pick up. I, I think they have a hard time taking EJ Speed off the field because he's playing at a high level. But but they just want to get Shaq more involved again. And and they obviously see that he's making those those improvements and all that. So I'll leave that to Gus. But I really don't don't like to see EJ speed up the field because he he and he and Zaire are pretty good players and and they make plays that that you remember. But they want to get Shaq back involved, more involved. Mike Chappell, our guest, of course, from CBS Four and from WXIN Fox Fifty Nine. Um, Mike, I thought yesterday Alec Pierce started to kind of show us something and then he ends up getting hurt. I don't know the extent of that injury. It appeared as though he, he landed on his shoulder awkwardly. Um, but that's kind of what we need to see out of him, isn't it? I mean, that was the first time really because I really feel like Alec Pierce this year, not only from the fact that you just need weapons for Gardner Minshew and then ultimately Anthony Richardson, but as you are starting to enter into the Michael Pittman contract negotiations, I feel like Alec Pierce's production is going to be critical from the Colts' standpoint in both areas. you agree? Yeah, and what I was impressed with is I thought his first catch was like one of those underneath rounds, which which we haven't seen a lot of. He's been more the vertical guy. 
but finding ways to get him involved and you know and you finally start to see that and then boy he goes down with the shoulder which I'm, I doubt we get much of a uh, of, of an update today but whenever a guy goes out with a shoulder injury it, it, it's normally something you know if you know what I mean so hopefully if he's out he doesn't miss much time because there's just not much depth reliable depth again I, everybody's got depth but people that you feel comfortable about putting it in place of it. If he's out for any time, by and large, it's going to be Pittman and Josh Downs and maybe some more of Kylan Granson uh, as more of a receiver. Uh, so it's, it, as much as we've, you know, the, the Colts haven't shown us much with Alec Pierce, I thought yesterday was a chance where we saw more and more and you thought, okay, maybe this is getting him going. Then he goes down hard. You hope he's not out long because they, they, they can ill afford to lose one of their top three receivers. Mike Chappell of Fox 9 and CBS 4 is our guest. Chap, this might be a question that winds up being asked today. I'm sure it will be, but you mentioned that as we get further into the season, Shaq Leonard's snap count likely to increase. At least that's what the Colts want to do from a philosophical standpoint. From the offensive game plan, at what point do we see things start to shift more towards Jonathan Taylor getting the edge and snap counts of Zach Moss. Is that a foregone conclusion? I mean, it, it increased nearly tenfold between week to week, week five and week six. Do you expect a further jump week seven? Yeah. Yeah. I remember when we talked to a few of us talked to Jim Ursay, uh, was it last Saturday, a week, a week ago Saturday, and he said, yeah, we're going to ease you, man, maybe three or four weeks before we really see Taylor back. Well, this is week three. Uh, and boy, he looked pretty good on that. Uh, that crossing pattern with the pass, didn't he? I mean, he showed speed. He ran away from people. And so that's why it's – they want to get the, – the more plays you get these elite players. Last night we saw Saquon Barkley kind of bottled up a lot. And then, boy, that one couple of plays in the second half, he goes like for whatever it was, 22 and then 30 or 30-some. That's what those guys do. Uh, of course, you got to stick with a run game to do that. So, yeah, more and more. And, and, and that's – to me, that's not – I hope no one sees that as a disservice to Zach Moss. Uh, it's just that Jonathan Taylor, well, first you paid him, you know, $26 million guaranteed. But beyond that, he's a, he's still a top five player in his position. And when he gets his feet under him, which maybe he has, maybe he has now, and, and he gets 70% of the snaps uh, this week. I, I keep going back to certain positions take time to kind of get up to speed. I go back to 99 when Edgerton missed most, all of training camp, and he goes out and wins a rushing title, you know, two years in a row. So I do think running backs, once they get their their football legs, they can step in and play. They really can. And it's not like this is a foreign offense to him, you know, foreign teammates. So I, I think this week more, much more, and unfortunately, that's going to mean less for Zach Moss, and he's done nothing, absolutely nothing to lose snaps. It's just that Jonathan Taylor's a guy. You know, Mike, the, the position to me that I've always thought would be the hardest if you're building a roster to nail down, and hear me out on this, is corner. Because corner, it feels like sometimes it got, it's like a goaltender in hockey. Like guys can get on a hot streak, and then all of a sudden like their confidence goes away, and, and now they're just – you know, Peyton Manning was one of the best, right, at realizing the other team's corner who was vulnerable, and he would just go yep. right at him. Jason, poor Jason David, probably still wakes up in a cold sweat. But <laughs> you know, you 
it, I feel like with corner, it takes the longest for a guy to get into rhythm, but then it has the shortest window before a guy can fall off a cliff. Where are the Colts right now in terms of the youth of their corners and how you would assess them? Each, you know, Gus Bradley and Ron Myers have said growing pains, and we're seeing it, every, you know, not every week, but nearly every week with with miscommunication, whether that is with the rookies. Each time yesterday they were involved in, at some level, with Juju on one side and Jalen Jones on the other with those touchdowns that were much easier than they should have been. Uh, the one earlier with, with, with the Rams, uh, with, with Nakua get, getting wide open, miscommunication. So it's going to happen. Corner is a lot like left tackle. It just is. Because you can play well for six, for 60 or 63 plays. If you get beat three, you are awful. Because when you get beat, it, you know, it, it's some kind of a big play. It just is. So it, it's unfortunate, but that, that's, you know, that, that's the job description. You know, Juju is showing they they really like him, uh, his, his his size, his physical nature, and man, and all that, and his ball skills, and what he's played now five games. He's he's played five games, uh, four games. He's played four games, and Jalen Jones has played even less than that. So you're, you're going to have this is this is it. This is what you've got. I mean, they've got Gardner Minshew at quarterback, and they've got young corners in the secondary, and that's. We can bitch and moan all we want about this is the way they this is how they planned on going into the season. It's not like it's been thrust upon them. Well, Minshew has with with the injury, but this is what they planned on, and you're we're just going to have to deal with it. But I think both these guys have upside. Certainly, Juju Brent has upside. My goodness, he really has a chance to be a, a good corner, but it takes some. It takes some speed bumps along the way, and I, like I said, the problem is with, with corners when you when you make a mistake, whether it's uh, giving up a big play or, or you get grabby for a penalty, it's going to cost you, and that's they, they're simply going to have to live with that. Mike, here's I'm going to put you on the spot here for fun. You ready? Sure. You've covered this team since they came over in the Mayflower trucks. Give me the five best corners that you've seen as Indianapolis Colts. Ooh. Uh, Kelvin Hayden, Gerard Powers, Ray Buchanan. Ray uh, Buchanan was yes. damn good. Boy, I know. I'm telling you, and, big and, play, Ray. That, that came, he started a big play here. Uh, Vontae Davis for that one stretch. Uh, who, I tell you, a, a guy that I really liked that he really got a bad rep was Eugene Daniel. Yeah, he was <laughs> – Eugene Daniel. He, he, he had he just played on a bad team. You know what, Chap? too big. I'll tell you another guy, not to cut you off there, sorry. Different position. But in the moment, like Rob Morris was a really common whooping boy, right? Like fans yes. love to, yes. to bitch about Rob Morris. And then you kind of realize after the fact that a lot of times when you saw Rob Morris coming late on a play, it's because he was Tampa covering Bay. for somebody else blowing an assignment, yep. and he's the one that has the wherewithal to, to, to try to make good on it. And I think Eugene I Daniel somewhat was that factor. Yes. I remember with with Rob Morris, uh, the, the Tampa Bay game, the, the, the comeback game, and McCardell got loose for whatever it was, a 60-yard, whatever it was. And the picture shows Rob Morris chasing him. And it wasn't his guy. And that, that next – like the next week, I had a good, I had a good relationship with Morris. And I, I walked by and he said, he said, that wasn't my guy. But he, he was – I tell you, and again, remember the, the, the Super Bowl run with, with uh, Bob Sanders. Well – 
people forget that also they put Rob Morris back in the mix. Now, of course, Sanders had the bigger impact, but Rob Morris was a, was a big part of that. He, he was a whipping boy because he was a, he was a late first round pick, and people thought he should have been better. But he's pretty good. Uh, so many players before that pre Manning were pretty good. Eugene Dan was really good on bad teams. You know, uh, uh, Jason Belzer, really yeah, good Belzer. In secondary. Yeah, Belzer. Uh, Belzer had a little like he was kind of the first. Belzer was the first guy I remember, Mike. And the Colts, when they first started to kind of have some legitimacy, he had like a swagger about him, right? Like he was kind of there, kind of like Bob Sanders was. Like he was a guy that, that the city kind of rallied around, right? He did He did a photo op for somebody, whether it was a star, whether it was Indianapolis Monthly, where he's, he's got his shirt off and he's doing all these poses. That guy was jacked. He really <laughs> was a great guy. But you're thinking, holy smokes. And, of course, Sanders is a guy he'd walk through the locker room and you'd think, why has he got his pads on? And he didn't. Oh, I know. He muscle was, on muscle on muscle. Like, yeah. Right. So, yeah, they've had they've had good corners. How about Ashley uh, Ambrose? I always thought Ashley Ambrose yeah. was like – I think it was Cincinnati he went to, and he turned into a nice player there, but he, he was better. just he, he coming into his own. He got better when he left here. Yeah. Yes, he got better when he left here. He was, he was part of that draft that should have been transformational with Entman and Coriot, and didn't happen. But they've had good corners, uh, and, and they had good corners when they had really good pass rushers. You know, funny how that how that goes hand in hand. But uh, they've had some. They're just going to let these kids grow into it. I say kids; these young players grow into it, and that's where they are. That's what they decided to do. That that was their choice. Uh, so it's going to kind of be, you know, kind of buckle up and and hopefully have good times. Hopefully, the good times outweigh the bad times. Mike. In conclusion, I'll save you, if you haven't gotten to it yet, uh, I'll save you a little bit of time, I guess, over the course of your week on your DVR. Uh, kind of a boring Saturday night of On Patrol Live. Not a lot Isn't of it? I, I, Yeah. I, I'm still I'm still an episode behind. Uh, <laughs> what? So, yeah, it, I tell you, the one I really like is, is the, the, police, the police department in, in Hayes in Arkansas. Oh. You got the guy, with, I, I'm telling you. I talk like this. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. and I'm thinking, you know, I looked it up. Hayes in Arkansas has like fifteen hundred people in it, so he, he must. Be, they all must be, you know, some former criminals because he's always pulling guys over. So. <laughs> the guy the other night asked to get a picture with him. He's like, "Wait a minute, I can I get my picture with you?" Yeah. Now they there was a guy. Uh, not to spo- spoiler alert here, I guess there was a guy on either Friday or Saturday this week that was running from the cops and dove into a creek. But what he didn't know is it was actually a sewage pit. And that was a oh, bit, geez. yeah, that was ugly. Yeah, my, my favorite time was when they start chasing guys, and then it's kind of like one of the, I remember one of the the old uh, two and a half men episodes where release the dogs. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That would make me first. I would freeze in my spot, and then I'd pee down my leg because I don't want some dog chomping on my leg until the guy says, "Okay, release." Correct. I think and, those I think those cops sort of let let, let the dog get his fun in when he can oh the dogs go well as a matter of fact the, the one guy his choice was to either the dog was going to get him or jump into the sewage pit and he jumped into the sewage i go pit. to the sewage pit i go to the sewage pit <laughs> yeah. there you go all right well we'll see if the cold season goes there uh next weekend against cleveland who knows right but um, <laughs> okay appreciate it we'll talk to you next monday talk to you guys all right mike chapel